First time. You lose your heart. Someday, somewhere, I'll make a difference. It's a mockery. I mean, we're not some some deep space franchise. This station is about something. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I'm watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the very first time. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the very first time. But we're doing the Star Trek thing right here with Babylon 5, where we're looking for all those deep, hidden messages that are laid within a really a fantastic 1990s sci-fi show. And while this is not a podcast about Star Trek, we are Star Trek podcasters, as well as Babylon 5 podcasters. But those Star Trek references are sure to make their way into our conversation. So to keep us honest, each of us get only three references to Star Trek during the entire episode. It's called the rule of three because we only get three. That's it. Three. One of those three. No substitutions, exchanges, or refunds. <laughs> hey, Brent. Hey, Jeff. We have a five-star review. Oh, yes. This is on Apple Podcasts, and it's from Andrew, like a fancy French way of saying Andrew. And Andrew says, I was late to Babylon 5, but really enjoyed it when I watched the series several years ago. I should have watched it sooner. I've enjoyed following along in real time as the hosts discover the ins and outs of the show. They have a good rapport and are really good at thoughtfully discerning and discussing the themes of B5. It's quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. Why, thank you, Andrew. Thank you. This is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to as well, although I am biased. Well, hey. Maybe this guy heard all of my references to Battlestar Galactica in the in the last episode, but Gaius Baltar emailed us. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> we have an email address. It's Babylon5first at gmail.com. It's number five, the word first at gmail.com. And Gaius says, this podcast of yours is fantastic, and I'm very glad I found it. I believe I've watched the series at least 20 times by now, possibly more. Like yourselves, I'm also a Trek fan and particularly love Deep Space Nine. They're both outstanding pieces of storytelling, but Bab 5 has the edge for me. I appreciate you don't want spoilers, but it was interesting to listen to your take on the first season. It has the reputation of being much weaker than what comes next, and I tended to skip it on rewatches. But your podcast had me fire up the first season for the first time in a while, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It gave me a real feeling of nostalgia. Thanks for doing this podcast, and thank you for doing it in the manner and spirit that you're doing it. Looking forward to listening to your show from here on out. I don't think it's a spoiler, though, to say that you're going to love it. Regards, Gaius Baltar. You know, Jeff, I don't know how many times I have to tell people, if you have to say, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, then just don't say it. Although that one was perfectly fine. Thank you, Gaius. Thank you. And you know what? You know what I love about Gaius? What's up? Is... He fully embraces both his Babylon 5 fandom and his Star Trek fandom. And even though he's like, but Babylon 5 still has the edge for me, like, that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. Totally cool. And he gets to love both. And I just, I love both. 
And Majel Barrett said we can. She said that's okay. And she gave us permission. Basically, the mouth. That's, I mean, it's not Ivanova saying it, but it's yeah. as close to the mouth of God as you can get. Well, she was saying it playing a role where she was channeling her dead husband. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it counts. I think, I think, it, think counts. it counts. I really do. Well, Jeff, you know, along with uh, getting to read these awesome comments and reviews, and along with our rule of three, we have another segment that we like to do, but this one doesn't come till much later in the episode. In fact, it's like the next to last thing that we do at the very end of the episode where we look ahead to next week's episode. All we do is we read the the episode title and we try to guess what that episode is going to be. Sometimes we're amazingly accurate. Most of the time we're hilariously off. So Jeff, I have a question for you. Looking back at last week's episode, when you predicted what this week's episode was going to be, were you ridiculously accurate or hilariously off? I was just off, not hilariously. Like I thought it was going to be a Delenn episode. So kind of got, got that. that. Kind of got that. But I, I thought that she was going to end up paying a price for breaking the council. Like she was going to be put on trial, or the warrior cast was going to come together and invoke some right or something like that. And we got nothing of the sort. What about you? Uh, well, I said that this was going to be cleaning up from the fallout of the battle. So. I think we got a bit of that. Uh, they, I said they were going to have to fix the station. I didn't really see much of that, but I did say they'd have some funerals. Yep. We got a funeral scene. Um, I said they're trying to get back to whatever the new normal is, which, sure. I've, I mean, that mm-hmm. was the whole point of Dylan's thing, uh, was trying to get to that spot. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but I also said maybe this is where the other alien species out there have to acknowledge whether Babylon 5 is an independent state or not. Uh, because you can say, yeah, I'm independent, but it doesn't matter if nobody, you know, recognizes you as that. Right. So, uh, that didn't happen at all. That wasn't a part of it. So half a point for me too, maybe. Yeah. Not bad. Really? Well, Jeff, uh, that's what we thought this episode was going to be about for the folks out there playing along at home who haven't watched this episode in a while, or maybe they've never seen the show just like us. And they didn't watch this episode first. Why don't you tell the folks out there what actually happened in this week's episode? Mobile device management is just as much a pain in 2260 as it is in 2023. Who has the passwords? Where did this update come from? What do you mean you can see all my texts? Well, Babylon 5's Maz360 admin is Earth Central, and that's no good. So Garibaldi, whose leg is suddenly okay, but now he's got a hurt arm all of a sudden. Well, he takes a break for from routing out Nightwatch and... uh going to go try and reprogram the computer. It's pretty simple to do. He's done it before. He just needs a few command codes. Captain Sheridan is Obsidian, Commander Ivanova, Griffin, and Chief Warrant Officer Garibaldi, Peekaboo. He plugs those in, reboots the machine, and we get into one of the most Buck Rogers corny subplots in the series to date. An AI with an attitude has taken control. Oh, it still does the stuff, and it's not malicious or anything you know, that we know of. It's just super annoying. Fortunately, it doesn't get in the way of a touching scene where Sheridan and Ivanova acknowledge the sacrifice of the crew as they're launched into space, their bodies to rest among the stars. A lot has happened over the last few episodes. The Minbari cruisers are still hanging around the station to protect it, and Delenn is meeting with the captains to thank them for their service. She decides it's time to reflect upon the past and prepare for a great change. And she calls for a rebirth ceremony. It includes meditation, reflection, 
sharing a secret that has never been shared before and offering something of great personal value. The guest list is lengthy. It includes Sheridan, Ivanova, Garibaldi, of course, but also Marcus, some key people in the non-aligned worlds, and Jakar. Oh, and Londo. And she thinks that he needs to be there most of all. She goes about the station, inviting everybody. Jakar is far too busy with station security and ensuring the Narns have a role after all this unpleasantness with Earth has passed. Marcus just doesn't want to go. Something about not listening to others and blaming himself for his brother's death, along with a woman that he was quite fond of. Turns out, the thing of great personal value that he needs to give away is his survivor's guilt. Londo is confused by the invitation and turns it down says he's already dealing with his actions and preparing for a better future. Earlier in the episode, he met with Lord Rifa to almost beg him to cut off relations with Morden. Rifa sees Morden as his golden ticket to the throne and refuses. So, according to the classic traditions, Londo poisons Rifa. Kind of. He slipped a poison into his drink that'll lie dormant until another is introduced at an unknown time by an unknown person resulting in a painful death. Cut ties with Morden? Hey, no second poison. Don't cut ties and, well, go watch the episode Knives and see just how capable Londo is of putting a Centauri under the dirt. Everything seems to be going well. Marcus leaves Delenn after their difficult conversation, and Delenn goes to meet the fleet captain. But they're ambushed by a group of Nightwatch thugs led by Caliban from TKO. He's back! Oh, no, sorry. Never mind. Some dude named Boggs. I don't think this guy, though, ever drank 70 beers on a cross-country trip, but he has absolutely seen better times. He's ragged, he's scarred, and he is mean. He's communicating with Nightwatch back on Earth and appears to be leading efforts here on the station. They're holding Delenn and the fleet captain, demanding that the Minbari cruisers leave Babylon 5, and Sheridan puts the station back under Earth control. Marcus, who feels guilty for leaving Delenn, goes on the hunt. They've compromised security. Nightwatch people are still on staff, so they have to go down below and rely on Marcus. Lanier and Marcus end up in the same place and down below, and after literally every other person is beat up to the point of passing out, Lanier shares his secret with Marcus. He loves Delenn, but not like loves her, loves her, more like loves, loves, loves her, like a deep, not really romantic love. Despite the fact that she's destined for another, though, he is still committed to staying by her side to the bitter, bitter end. After some searching and aggressive questioning, they locate Delenn and Nightwatch. They set up a coolant leak, forcing an evacuation of that area. Sheridan and crew intercept them, and after some more budget-cut-style PPG shots, the day is saved. Oh, wait, no. Delenn takes a knife in the back from an absolute psycho. Sheridan chases him down, ready to tear him apart. He takes him down, and Delenn gets to med lab. Hostage situation and recovery from the stab wound mess up the timing for the rebirth ceremony. Lanier informs everyone it's going to be canceled. Not accepting that, Sheridan visits Delenn and says he's bringing the ceremony to her. He and all the Earth Force DVD cover people give her their uniforms as something of great personal value. Then they share secrets. Franklin says he might have a problem. Garibaldi says he's afraid of what he'll do if he ever loses control of himself. And I'm not sure which one has the bigger punch here. Well, 
Sheridan stays true to his namesake by saying that he loves Delenn without actually saying that he loves Delenn. And Ivanova says that she thinks she was in love with Talia. Anticipating some of this, Delenn had gifts created for the team. New uniforms! Now they're wearing the ones that your action figures have, Brent. And not only do they get new uniforms, they got a new logo. It's the t-shirt that I've been wearing off and on and I'm wearing right now on the YouTube stream. The episode ends with a flashback to the gathering as Sheridan channels his inner Takashima and says, Babylon 5 is open for business. What did you think, Brent, of ceremonies of light and dark? Also, what did you think of my really stumbly delivery of all of that? Good God. It's like I've never done this before. Yeah, I don't know how much of that you're actually going to cut out of the uh, audio version. But for those of you in the audio version, you can go over to our YouTube channel and catch the unedited behind-the-scenes version. And this particular one took me 46 minutes to say that. was a doozy for Jeff. Uh, But you know what? You powered through it. You struggled through it. You got to the other side and you did a good job. And I'm really glad you were the one who had to do the recap for this particular episode. Thank you. So when I first watched this episode, the folks out there by now know that I do reaction videos to my first watch of these episodes, you know? And when I did that episode, uh, I got all the way to the end of it, watched the entire episode, made all my notes and everything like that. And I was like, man, this was a really heavy episode. It's not bad but it was kind of heavy, you know, like I wasn't quite sure. Like I was like, that's, that's where they want to go right after everything that happened. Okay. Like I, and I, I can, I can hear people in the comments right now. They're all like, Oh, well you just had a big battle and you got to deal with this and you got to deal with that. And you know, you can't expect everything to be wrapped up in a nice little bow in 45 minutes. And they got nuance. You apparently don't understand nuance. No, I get all of that. I'm just saying it's not where I would have gone right after that show, you know, but I realized I didn't hit record when I, went through that. <laughs> and so I had to redo the whole thing. And those of you who've watched that reaction video by now, you actually already know this. Um, by the way, if you want to see that reaction, you can uh, go over to our YouTube page and you can catch those. Um, or they're also the full versions are up on the uh, Patreon page where people can catch that. Jeff little shameless plug. Uh, Sometimes I've got my unedited ones on there too, from time to time. You do too. That is correct. And uh, I got to tell you, the second time I watched it, though, Jeff, I really like I appreciated it a lot more. It wasn't as heavy as I thought it was. It was still heavy, but I really liked where it went. I I was I was tracking, I think, the second time a lot more with Delenn and what she was trying to do for the crew. And that, to me, I think was the through line that was really compelling. Uh, and, and, And we'll talk about it. But I loved how despite everybody was giving her all the excuses in the world why they couldn't come to her Christmas party. You know what I mean? Um, She And she gets to the end. She's like, well, then if it's just me, then it's just going to be me. But I'm going to do it anyway because we need to have this done. And, you know, I was like, man, if Jeff ever branches out from Star Trek to do his Leadership Academy stuff, there's something there to that. There's something there. Like, I think I liked this episode much more than I initially did. I don't know that this is going to be a favorite episode of the season for me, but I thought it was a fine episode. How about you? I didn't think it was a fine episode so i was traveling this last week you don't understand nuance jeff like i don't listen man this is babylon 5 not star trek not everything's gonna be wrapped up in 45 minutes in a nice little book i need a bow i need a bow on it i need a beginning middle and end every 45 minutes i mean i just i don't understand tv i like star trek sorry that was a little over the top (laughs) to all of you commenting out there we love you guys 
We do. It's just, it's it's in fun. It is in fun, but also we get nuance. Like yes, we do. We do. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon Five for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. We're just we're just having to record our initial reactions. Like we understand right? it, but we're giving you the reactions that we had. So there you go. You get the whole thing here. Right. So I was I was traveling this last week, so I watched it the first time on the plane, okay. which is never a great place to watch something, especially when you're trying to like analyze it and stuff. But usually my first watch is just a pure watch. I'm not taking notes, I'm just watching. And then I watched it the second time. And the, after the first one, I, I felt kind of similar to you, and it's like, oh. Okay, like they're acknowledging some of the stuff that happened. They're slowing the pace down. This is that breather episode. Mm -hmm. But when I watched it the second time, I realized that Delenn is just a get ready, commenters, get ready. Delenn is just a bag of hot wind who never actually says anything and goes out of her way to sound super smart and super wise. But really, she just speaks in a way. That makes everything seem like it is so much more impactful than it really is. Multiple times she said nothing and, and she just said it in her like cadence that's beautiful and amazing, but didn't actually say anything. And I agree her whole, I'm going to have the party no matter what. That is awesome. That's leadership. What you create the environment and allow others to come. That's awesome. But most of the other stuff she was saying, I'm just like, she, she, She's just like one of those politicians who just has a great cadence and rhythm to what she says, but there's very little, at least in this episode, very little substance to what she actually said. I had a really hard time with this. It, one. Is that because we have no idea what the rebirth ceremony actually does or what it's for under what circumstance you do? Because I still am not entirely clear on that. It's just, Hey, now would be a good time to do this thing. I have a theory. Okay. And this, you, it, I am okay with people commenting on this to tell us if we're right or wrong. Cause she said that she did this part of this two years ago. I think this is the gimmick from parliament of dreams where they did the marriage thing. Mm -hmm. They had like the little red berry things or whatever. I think, I think that that was part of the ceremony and this was supposed to like, we were supposed to pick up on it and be like, Oh yeah, this is that thing. I'm not sure about that, but, but yeah, I, I, that, by the way, that's what I thought it was too. When she said that I had that same thought. Yeah. But yeah, like all in all, I just feel like there were I, I I liked the idea of Nightwatch still being on the station and actively trying to like mess stuff up. They teased that in Severed Dreams, paid off right here. I liked that a lot. the The story of it was kind of eh, a little bit, but I mean, on top of that, and then the Londo stuff with Rifa, whew, 
Oof, that was good. I'm looking forward to talking about that. But like between the computer stuff and the Delenn stuff, I just, I don't know. This this episode, I think especially after the three episodes we just got through, this episode was a tremendous letdown for me. So the the notes that I immediately had the first time I watched this episode, and I, I will stick by these particular notes. I said, what a letdown after the last three weeks. Nobody tell me about the word palate cleanser. That is not what this episode is. This no. A palate cleanser, you know what a palate cleanser is? A palate cleanser is a comedy. That's a palate cleanser. It would be soulmates, right? It'd be soulmates from the second season. It's like there's some, there's some stuff in there, but it's mostly fun. Exactly. That would be a palate cleanser. There was a little bit in this episode of what's next mixed with a whole lot of crazies, you know? Yeah. Like I said, the second time I watched it, I appreciated it a lot more because I was tracking the lens through line. It's interesting when you sit back and you say, she said nothing the whole episode because I can't argue with you on that. You're a hundred percent right, but she made it sound so cool. She does. She makes it sound great. The fact that she was trying to pull everybody in to, to do this thing and people kept saying, no, I just found so compelling, you know, like she, she believed in this process so much that this was going to do something, but she never told us what, because as you said, she doesn't say anything, <laughs> right? But I didn't care because I would have done this, 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 uh, ceremony with her no matter what. And we got these freaking cool uniforms because I got to be honest. All right. So I picked up this, uh, uh, what is this? An action figure. For those of you not watching the YouTube, I'm currently holding a John Sheridan earth Alliance space action figure, which I found in a, in a used, uh, video game shop way back while we were still in, in season one. And I didn't even know who John Sheridan was. And people were like, oh, it's a big spoiler. And I'm like, guys, there's five seasons. Characters are going to come and go. Like, I get that. I'll meet him when he, I had no idea who he was or where he'd come in. I didn't know I'd be meeting him in like four episodes later, you know. But he also has this uh, uh, uniform, which is the uniform we saw today. Mm-hmm. Now, up in the corner, it says in Earth Force uniform up here. So I really just thought that, you know, a lot of times when you translate stuff from real life into action figures, like it does not translate. That's what I really thought this was. I just thought they just screwed up the coloring of the uniform. Mm. Like that's all I thought it was, but no, no, this actually is the uniform that we see here. Now I really want to know what the finger pointing is because I know that's a joke <laughs> and, and I don't get it yet, but I really want to find out what that, that finger pointing is. You know, I had assumed with that uniform because so one thing we need to mark with this episode is this is not just the halfway point of season three. This is the halfway point of Babylon five. Is it really? It is two and a half seasons of five. We have two and a half left to go. But you mean everything we've been through for this last like year and change or however long it's been, we got to do this all over again. Like we got, we're only half, like we got another half to go. Oh my gosh. I got a lot, a lot of show left in front of us, but you know, another show, another show that around through its halfway mark decided that they were going to change their uniforms and update them to match the, you know, they, to match the movie that came out with first contact. I really felt that uniform we saw in the action figure was just their version of deep space nines, new uniforms. Uh, I didn't make that connection at all at all, but let's talk about the uniforms. Cause I thought that this was a very interesting conversation that they were having. Sheridan refuses to wear the to wear the Earth Force uniform, and rightly so. Apparently, nobody else had a problem with it. They all wanted to keep wearing it. 
Sheridan was like, yeah, I'll wear it this one more time for the funeral, which I'm not sure why, but which I guess is maybe just respect for the dead. Not necessarily. I think so. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about it last week and and I, I liked how you put it where they were holding on to that because they felt that they were still truly earth force and that president Clark and that those people were the traitors to it. And so I think, especially for that funeral scene, those people died to protect what they believed earth and earth force was about. I think it was respectful to have worn the uniform, but you're right. He's telling, I can't wear it. It's garbage. Tell as long as this guy's in power and these things are going on, I can't wear this. And everyone's like, Oh, oh I'm still going to wear mine. I like so. at that point, even if like the rest of the bridge crew didn't do it, Ivanova should have taken her jacket off. Like, and if, if one by one over the course of the episode, you'd see people like kind of going, yeah, I can't, I can't do this one anymore. That would have been actually, I think that would have made that end scene where they're bringing the uniform to Delin in the hospital. It would have made that even more impactful. Yeah. If you, you saw them like, yeah, I can't do this one anymore. I can't, you know, to even have that conversation of like, this really meant something to, 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 to verbalize that. Like they're, they've got to let that go because they did just form a new nation, country, state thingy, something, whatever they are. Yeah. So I, I quite loved this through line and the fact that like, this was the gift that she got them at the end almost made it seem like the whole subplot with the, with the ceremony was just to get them to uniforms. Yeah. Almost. I, I thought that was a, as a, almost a unification. One of the things we haven't talked about a lot, but have alluded to a few times is the uniforms are all a little different. You know, Garibaldi's got that security gray thing going on. They're wearing a blue. Now everyone has the same uniform, at least on, you know, the, the, the bridge crew people or the, you know, the main, the main characters. I don't know if we'll see other people pick them. Do they, do they have differences? Like um, if I could ride your buzz from a, a few minutes ago, like even when they changed uniforms with star Trek, they the, instead of the different colors there, there was just the turtleneck. It was the piping was different, mm-hmm. which still signified division. Is there still something that signifies division? They still have their stat bars. They had their stat bars. Okay. On there. Okay. Yeah. So they have a fold, like the fold over on the right side that, uh, kind of like a webbing almost. Mm-hmm. And then they have the stat bar over under the, the piping on the left side. But other than that, like it's just a pin, right? So it's the same the same uniform, which I thought that was kind of cool, just unifying them. And then in the CNC, most of what used to be the Babylon 5 logo with the kind of olive branch thing, and it has been replaced with what's on my shirt, which is the shield and the sword through the five, which is cool. I got this forever ago, just thought it was a cool Babylon 5 logo. Turns out it's actually a big deal. <laughs> like it's a big turning point. I didn't notice that it was in the that it was in the CNC area. Same time. So when they they panned in the camera, they didn't make a big deal they of just went it. Over it. I missed that. And yeah, and the scene when they came in, so it came across and it showed some of the stations we've seen and you can just see it like plaster on the wall, except the two, I think it was the two that are in by the main doors still have the olive branch on them. So how did Delenn know everybody's sizes? Right. Those are very well tailored, much better than the security gimmick that Zach was all upset about before. So does everybody else get a new uniform now? That's what I want to know. Or is it going to be like, like TNG where you have your front zip people and your back zip people through the whole right, thing. Right. It depends on, and I'm writing my old reference for there that. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we could ride that one anymore because we'll be well past right. it at that point. Uh, so let's talk about the, the, the funeral. Just it, yeah. it was very standard space sci-fi funeral. Yep. They read all the names. We're going to launch in. I mean, Jeff, it looked like they went over to the Star Trek lot 
borrowed their photon torpedo props, which is what they use to shoot people out into space in Star Trek as well, and came back over and used that same prop. It looked identical, did it not? It totally did. It's the Mark the Mark IV from Star Trek two and three. Yeah. I mean, but I get it. You know, that's what you do. Yeah. You send them out. So you got to put them in some sort of a coffin. I think it's a neat because, you know, in the, in the like old Navy, you know, way back wooden ships and stuff that they, we commit your bodies to the deep, you know. And so, so I felt like it was a really cool evolution, you know, and, and doing this. I feel like I can't remember the episode, but I feel like we saw this in a first season episode also. But it was Ivanova and Garibaldi maybe in scenes. I, I, I just have this memory of, of Ivanova saying that at one point, but I don't really remember. For our commenters out there, you see, we do slowly connect the dots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on a first-time watch, we get little pieces. We'll get it on the rewatch. You don't have to remind me. Yeah, yeah. please don't connect those dots for us. Don't save us the rewatch because we'd love to hit that. But uh... I thought it was neat. I, I, I thought it was powerful when they went through and read the names. Mm-hmm. I was struck that there weren't, there, there weren't as many as I thought there were going to be. And I want to applaud my own superhuman level of self-control by not by respecting those who died in uniform and in service and not doing a, and who else died that they paid respects to his name was Alexander Hamilton. Like I was totally going to do a Hamilton joke in my recap because that was the first name, but I felt that'd be disrespectful. So I'm doing it now as we talk about the episode. I wish you would have done it then. Cause that would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not been, it, it's not too soon, Jeff. It's been enough time. It's been 30 years, dude. It's right. Fine. Right. <laughs> We're good. Delenn's having a conversation with the captains of the ship that came back with her. I guess. This, yeah. These are not great council guys. Clearly guys that were very much warned under pain of death to not speak because they didn't want to pay them for it. Um, but she said, they, huh? Oh, just go. I, I have a night watch joke on that, so but I'll get it. She later. said she, she talked about the trial that is to come now. What I, I, I was listening to that. And I was thinking, well, what exactly is she talking about? Is she talking about the trial of the war with the shadows? Is she talking about this thing going against earth force? Is there something back on Minbar? Is this, is this a, a reference to the breaking of the great council? Like what, what do you think that trial was? she's like we're gonna have to go through this so stick around because this is gonna be a thing so here's one of my it's one of my delen issues i have in this one so i think it goes way back on maybe even season one gray council stuff when we first started seeing the gray council Uh but she talked about the prophecy and in the prophecy she talked about darkness and fire i'll have to go through darkness and fire i remember her in an episode telling lanier it might have been it might have been the one where they booted her from the gray council i forget which episode that was She's like, you know, we have dark, we're going to have to go through darkness and fire. So here she is in front of these captains quoting prophecy, right? Which we also saw her do when she broke the great council. But as Lanier is like, you know, talking to her about stuff or whatever, she said, she says to Lanier, she says, prophecy is a poor guide to the future. And I'm like, what in the, everything you say is prophecy. You changed your whole gimmick because of a prophecy. And now you're going to lay this prophecy as a poor guide to the future. And this is how you're trying to unite your fleet captains and what, come on Delenn, get your message on point. Well, well, but, but I'm going to defend that because I quite okay. loved that, that line because the, the second line she said right after that, she's like, prophecy is a poor guide to the future. You only know what it means when it's upon you. So it's not that prophecy is useless. 
it's you need to know what it is so that when it happens, you're aware that this is what it's talking about, not what's to come in the future. And that very much is on brand for Delenn because she didn't come in hearing this prophecy of old thinking she was going to have to be the one to go into chrysalis and grow hair and unite the two sides of Mimbar for this great war that's to come. But she knew of it and she's like, this is the prophecy. I, in fact, I would be willing to bet in light of this particular statement, if we went back and tracked from second half of season one to Lynn through that, there'd be a lot of watching Delin come to the realization that this is her or even not coming to the realization that it is her, but taking it on to make it her. Like in season one, we saw her doing the tinker toy thing that then she got the triluminary to complete that put her in the chrysalis. So I, and I think where I still have an issue with this is I, I can look at the chrysalis thing mm -hmm. as, <clears throat> oh my gosh, I'm the person. It's me. Okay. Prophecy is now on me. So I know what it is. Breaking of the council. Here it is. But they've been talking about this. We will have to go through darkness and fire. There'll be a trial of darkness and fire since the first season to come to come. And she's still, this is coming. This is coming. But if it's a poor guide to the future, why are you making all of these decisions on this one line of a trial of darkness and fire? I just feel it's inconsistent, but I, I totally see where you're coming from. I think you're right. That is some of the decisions and maybe even because Kosh even said back in coming of shadows, when he talked to the emperor, uh -huh. you know, how, how's all this going to end in fire? It's like fire is a thing through this and maybe you know maybe kosh is reading off some of the same prophecies but again it's a 2b thing right now i if i if i may just interject because this is a podcast i have a microphone in front of my face and here is the topic at hand something that i have long held i have lived in a world where people try to continually talk about prophecy like in real life people talk about prophecy all the time and what is the prophecy and what's this going to mean in prophecy and what's this going to mean in prophecy and, and I was steeped in that for a really long time. And eventually I came to a spot where I was like, look, you know what? When you look at mankind's history, and this isn't in any one particular religion, this is across history. When you look at mankind's history of interpreting unfulfilled prophecy, it's not good. No, no. We typically can only interpret prophecy when it has been fulfilled. Which is why I like I, that might be why I appreciate this line so much from Delenn, because while maybe I can agree with you that it is inconsistent with her character, it is very much in alignment with a personal thing that I have, which is, yeah, prophecy is a poor guide to the future. You really only know what it means when it's upon you. Now, I don't think that means you shouldn't study prophecy if you are of that sort of bent, but I do think trying to say this is what it means and this is what's going to happen is a really dangerous place to be like interpreted as it's as it's happening not uh telling us what's here's here's the the 13 novel step-by-step -step plan of how prophecy is going to unfold hey you wrote 13 really cool novels dude like yeah and maybe they're not that cool but whatever pretty much here's what i'm left with is whatever's going to happen it's not going to be that right it's just not that one <laughs> But I do think she is, I mean, wh whatever she's doing, but whether it's prophecy or whatever, she is, she is trying to unite the Minbari that have followed her uh, under her banner, maybe like, you know, in a way, so, because I, I think we've, we spe speculated last week about the warrior cast and how they're probably going to become allies with the shadows. And maybe that's the darkness that's coming, you know, and, and whatever, you know, as I do the thing we just said not to do, but 
she's clearly trying to unify them and i think it was cool the to, to fast forward to the very last scene of the episode which was babylon 5 with the minbari cruisers just circumnavigating the station and it was this cool shot of like they are they're working in unity it's a uh, you know multi-species thing coming together and really kind of all under delenn and sheridan is there too but delenn is kind of becoming that figurehead at least on the minbari side i mean clearly on the minbari side but especially so well while we're talking about the lens since it was such a big part of the episode let's talk about the this ceremony um and at least try to parse it out so there's the ceremony of rebirth the nafakcha sure i think i i think i i spelled it correctly based off the uh, subtitles this is a ceremony that is meant to you you do this when you do it at a corporate retreat at a <laughs> at a park that ends in a trust fall. <laughs> He's at a trust fall. Oh my gosh! Because yeah. it, it it I I, well, I get the concept right. You know we're gonna reflect. We're gonna yeah. share. We're gonna find things in common. But also, how does any of this in any way prepare anyone for a change or the future? It just I'm not. You know I. The, I don't have all the puzzle pieces, but this doesn't add up. I mean, if she was trying to lead them somewhere, you know, like, cause, cause I was like, okay, she wants to invite Londo of all people. This is a, a shedding of, of the old things you we've just broken away from earth. These guys have to shed their earth stuff in order to be able to go forward. Londo has got to shed whatever this crap is, this baggage he's been handling, which I really would love to see him do that. Cause I want my Londo be back. Frankly, Jakar's already there. Yeah, he feels like Jakar's good. He doesn't need to be. If anyone, he needs to be helping to lead this whole thing. Um, Marcus obviously has some stuff, and I, his whole thing was probably the most moving out of all of them. I yeah, I I I, I fail to see the importance of this. Well, and you describing it, it just hit me. I'm like, it's not, it's not a rebirth or a changing. It's Festivus. It is just the airing of grievances. <laughs> <laughs> Festivus is the whole thing. I but I, I want to talk through some of the objections people had. Let's you do mentioned it, Jakar. Yes. Jakar, in my opinion, fully justified in, in him rejecting the invitation. Because he said Because he said, We have a commitment. We've made a commitment to protect this station, and we have to prove ourselves to Sheridan and to everyone else that the Narns can continue helping here even after everything's like he is carving out a role for the Narns in this new togetherness paradigm. Like he is laser focused on it. I'm for it. I'm for it. Londo. Let's talk about Londo and his rejection. Cause Londo was like, Hey, are we going to have some drinks? We're going to, Oh no, we're going to confess our deepest, darkest secrets. No, I'm not doing that. I'm so much better than you. <laughs> I forget I'm talking to a minbare. <laughs> but also, I, I, I don't want to say he's just he's he's more justified than I think you think on the surface, because in his mind, he is taking steps to right what he feels are the wrongs that well, that's not necessarily true. Because he never apologized for what he did. He just said we used them and we're good. Now we have to act differently. But he is trying to write the course i think he i think you're right he is trying to write the course but he is also trying to he is doing that to absolve himself of the guilt which he clearly feels 
And mm-hmm. we saw that because it the it was almost as if if you read between the lines, and this might have been me, I don't know about anybody else out there, but if you if you watch that scene again where Londo and Delin are talking, first of all, he's making fun of Delin to her face, which is not okay. Let's just say it. it. It like the way he handled that was not okay. Also being surprised to be invited. He's like, you're inviting me after everything I've done, which is a really neat conversation about grace. Right. You're going to let me come do this. Given everything I've just done. Are you crazy? No, I can't come do that. I've got this other stuff I got to go do. And what happens is he winds up rejecting it for the same reason that most people reject grace. Um, and I don't mean for this to get into a religious sounding conversation because I think you can plug this into just about any religion out there. I'm not a world's expert on all religions out there, but I think this is about a, I think this is a similar experience across mankind. He feels so much guilt over what he's done. He can't step into whatever that grace or that redemptive path or whatever that is that brings him back to good. He can't do that because of his guilt. Mm Mm-hmm. And when, when you watch, I, I found that a super compelling scene because Lon, it's like Londo wanted to, but he couldn't because he was so burdened by the guilt of what he's done. But the ironic thing is, is in doing that, that's what would allow him to release the guilt yeah, and move forward. And he just couldn't bring himself to do that. And, you know, I, I've heard that so many times now I, I, I can't, I can't go to this place until I fix all of this stuff. And you're like, but going to that place is what allows you to fix that stuff. It points back to, I think what we talked about in point of no return and passing through Gethsemane, like it's, it's, it's literally Londo rejecting forgiveness or the opportunity for forgiveness, which is what he needs to do the stuff because passing through Gethsemane showed us that he can be. And then point of no return showed us that he has to, you know, and he's, he's again, creating his own problem. But doing it in a way where I think also like I don't want to I don't want to minimize what his intent is with for the Centauri people, you know, and trying to redirect Morden and or not Morden, but Rifa, you know, yeah. and Morden. Like it's one, it's the right thing to do, like you know, to to cut off the relationship. And I think his intention in wanting to do it is good and pure. What's missing and what this festivist ceremony could add for him is. Dude, you got to acknowledge that this is all your fault. <laughs> like we're here because you did it. We all know. That's it. Yeah, we all know. Every person knows. Jakar saw it in your brain. Like you need to go and you need to get it right. You need to fess it up and make it right. And it'll suck, but you, it will get better. What you're trying to accomplish will happen then. So let's, let's talk about uh, Marcus. Because yeah. that one, I loved that, that uh, interaction that she had with Marcus the idea that the thing he had to let go was his grief. Well, and his guilt. And his, well, survivor's guilt. What did she say? Your guilt for being alive. Oh. You have not forgiven yourself for being alive. You've let go of the people and the places and the things, but you've not let go of the pain. You're still holding on to the pain. Now, I mean, that's, I mean, where's Deanna Troy? Like, that is counseling right there. 100%. And I think also the scene was elevated so much by their acting. Yes. They're having, they're in, they're in this nice, is a great set piece. You know, it was quiet. The lighting was, was low. It was intimate. They're getting real. And when it, when he kind of had enough and he's like, I, I have to go like, you know, I, I need to let him know there was this pregnant pause 
that happened between them. And it was, it was just like, it was so obvious that he wanted to say more mm-hmm. and she wanted him to say more. Like they're both just like, uh, 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 but he didn't do it. He, again, he, he repeated the behavior and then he knew he did, you know, he caught himself for it where he's just like, I ran away again, which is so similar to what Londo was just going through though, Jeff. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's where I wanted to get like those two side by side juxtaposed with each other. They're effectively going through the same thing albeit different they couldn't let go of their stuff to be able to to join in and that's and this is going to tie to my closing thoughts but it's the same thing and their reactions to it right there's the thing that happens and then there's how we react to it and the way they are reacting to it is to hide hide and do what they think they need to do so now let's compare those two reactions because i'll give you jakar like jakar is jakar is good i got i got his yep right he could he should have joined in just for camaraderie sake but i'll give it to him so let's talk about the other ones who initially were resistant but they wound up doing it franklin comes in and says what we have all known and they picked up a thread that i don't think they've touched on for several episodes now i'm an addict is effectively what he, i've got a problem right yep and he turns around and walks away ivanova comes in i think i love talia i was surprised to hear her mention her name mm-hmm. because i thought they were really trying to just sort of get that away Although this could be the last time we really ever hear her name. Like this could have been the I'm because this was the I'm letting it go. I it, If Franklin never touched another pill from now to the end of of the series, having said, I think I have a problem. Would you be satisfied with this being the answer for he let his addiction go at this? No, because that's no. not how addiction minimizes. Yeah, I think it's minimizes the disease. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think maybe in 1996, uh-huh. in 1996, maybe, maybe I'd be okay with it. But what we know about the disease now, I think it would be minimizing it and, and not, not good. At and all. I just, I just want to be clear. I don't know if they ever bring up Franklin's addiction again after this point. I really have no idea. I'm just my hope. Like when he said that, you know, he came and said, you know, I, I have a problem. My first reaction was like, the Len doesn't know, you know, 1990s code for having a drug problem. She's like, yeah, you've got a problem. You're a jerk and an egomaniac. Like we know that that's not, but I get it. It was, it was nineties code for stuff. So what I hope happens from this is he, he said it, he put it out there acknowledging you might have a problem is the first step. And so I hope this does put him on a path and I hope it could lead to some cool stuff with him and Garibaldi. Well, speaking of Garibaldi, Garibaldi coming and said, I'm afraid. Now I thought his was the weakest of all all of the confessions i've got to be the security chief but i'm always afraid of imposter syndrome or whatever it is like well he said about when if he gets his emotions out of control it's just totally like pulp fit you know right i'm a race car and you know you don't want a race car in the red you can't be in the red and he, and he did say of falling off the wagon he's scared of falling off the wagon basically is that what he it, said basically that that's that's what i took it as like he's really scared of what happens if he loses control that okay I could see that. I could see that more because I, I read it initially of just like, if I lose control of my emotions, man, I don't know what's going to happen. Come on. Like, we all feel that way. That's not a secret. And then Sheridan confesses his love, which sort of, sort of, but I, I loved how this scene was written for him. I have come to a spot where I can no longer picture my life without you in it. Like, I mean, Jeff, you're married. I'm married. Try saying that to your wife. Like that's. I mean, I don't, we've both been married for several years. I, at this point, I'd be like, what do you mean you can do that now? You should have done that a long time ago. Like, right. you know, <laughs> uh, you young young folk out there who are just getting into relationships, write that one down. That's a good line. That's, that's a great line. 
It was, and, and again, Mira Furlan and her acting was, I mean, her, I guess he said that her eyes, you know, like softened and perked up, which, you know, I mean, cause who, who's not going to brighten up hearing someone say something like that? You know, it was, it was beautiful. It was touching, but just like the beautiful and touching scene with Sheridan and his dad say, I love you say it, just say the words, man. Just come on. Yep. Yep. But, but it was great. That was great. But you know what Sheridan did do? Is when Delenn got knifed, he tracked the dude down like a wild animal and punched the ever-loving out of him. Yeah. That was personal, not professional. No, no. That was hardcore. And it was great. I yeah, loved and it. And once again, you can just go beat people up on Babylon 5 and nobody cares. Well, you're the CO. Of course you can. <laughs> I did love, we've talked in the past about how great the fight choreography is on Babylon 5. But that was not the case in this not one. Not this one at all. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little here just to tell me if you could dodge this. <laughs> like he cocks and he holds it for like 14 seconds. Like, here it comes. Are you ready? Here. Oh. So for the folks Come out on, there dude. listening to the audio who are like, what is what's he doing? Jeff cocked his arm back and held it for like however many seconds that was. It was a long, it was awkward. It was long enough to get awkward. Uh, because we could see his armpit. So <laughs> No, cover it. Keep it, keep it covered, man. We're good. Right. We're oh. good. We're good. Um, so that's really Delenn. The only other thing we had for Delenn was Lanier confesses his love for Delenn. He's yeah. like, it's not a romantic love as you would understand it. It's whatever. But then he says this line, but since she is fated for another. And basically Lanier was like, oh, sorry, Jeff, you were gonna have to get your bleeper out for this one. Uh, th this is not family friendly parents, parents. I'm just, if you got kids. I'm going to give you three, two, one. Lanier's going to cock the rest of his life. <laughs> right. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and be a third wheel. I am right. committing myself to be. Because I love wheel. her and I'm just going to be this guy for the rest of my time here. It, I don't buy that it's not romantic love. No, absolutely that, not. Yeah. He's, he's talking, you know, self-talked himself to that, you know, understanding. But he's, he is totally puppy dog high school head over heels for Delenn. now it may be more than just romantic love but romantic love is a part of it. i mean i i don't know how your relationship is with your wife on this level jeff but i would venture to say i'm probably speaking truth here i love my wife that is a romantic love mm -hmm. but i also i mean my wife and i've been i've been married 13 years i love her in more than just a romantic way like there are multiple types of love and i love her in all of those ways and it is deeper than just romantic Yes, it is all of that. And, you know, if if that's what Lanier is is channeling here, you didn't marry her, man. Like, right. You know? Yeah. And I'll say that. Oh, go ahead. I just I just think that he has a book. He's, you know, he reads all the time. Yeah. You know, it's his thing. He has a book on French braiding and he just he's dying for that moment where he can be like, Dylan, Dylan, I, I got some candles. <laughs> I got some rom coms lined up on Netflix. Can I just braid your hair? Can I play with your hair because I don't have any. Yeah. Exactly. This has got to be so cool. So I, the only other thing that this made me think of is I remember once when I was dating a girl way back when, and we got to the spot where we broke up and we were doing the whole broke up thing. And I was about to say, you know, the cheesy sappy line that a lot of people say when they break up, there'll always be a small piece in my heart that loves you or I'll always, you know, hold a place for you in my heart. I'm just, you know, like, like you've been so special. You've been good. Like it was a good relationship. I'll be real honest. It, it was good. It just wasn't the one and it was, it was time to be done. 
And and I was about to say, but I I stopped myself because I said even then I hadn't even met my wife yet. I said even then I was like, when I do get married, I don't want some part of my heart belonging to somebody else other than the person I'm actually with. Because she said, she, I mean, she rejected this. I'm not holding on to that. And I like I kind of felt for Lanier in this moment. Like I don't know if Lanier is ever going to find himself a his own little Mimbar wife or husband or whatever they are. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he will, but is he always going to hold this thing for Delin even to, in an other relationship? Like, that's not cool, man. No. Anyway, that was my own. poor guy. Should we talk about the, the, the night watch then? Yeah. So they're all supposed to be getting off the station, but you know, they seeded for us last week, right? That uh, we got to figure out the ones that we don't know about, which first of all, why are there night watch people that you didn't know about? Like, did the night watch secretly have people like they were trying to put in the, they were trying to show force. Like, Hey, we're, you're going to join the night watch, but don't tell anybody. Okay. You're going to be like our secret guy. Yeah. Cause it was literally the whole sales shtick was just wear this armband, like just be visible. You know, we'll pay you for that. And then these high profile, like people that people know, you know, I mean, Garibaldi recognized Boggs. He recognized the, 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 the very, very mentally ill person who, wow. It's really disappointing to know that like in the 23rd century, our military personnel aren't going to have any better access to mental health care. Right. That is very, and I, I actually felt with dude, the sniper guy who sang the, the bones song that was really weird, but, um, I, I felt that was very much a mid nineties reaction to desert storm and the awareness we had of PTSD at that time. Okay. And uh, cause I think, you know, for me, I, you know, born in the late seventies, I was aware of Vietnam, but people coming back from Vietnam wasn't really a part of my life. People going to and coming back from desert storm, desert shield and desert storm was a part of my life. And we talked about PTSD. It was a thing. And I kind of felt this guy was an example of that. Someone who can't leave the war. Mm. Cause that was a thing for us. I mean, it still is like, we still have that now, but I think it was very up front at that at this this time in the mid 90s interesting i, had, I hadn't thought about that because I, I mean i am i am old enough to have i very clearly remember before desert storm and mm -hmm. i i remember it was probably during the desert storm desert shield stuff of the of the early 90s where i first learned about the way that we treated people coming back from vietnam i was like well that's not cool you know and i, I was i was a, a preteen early teenager like that's not cool we shouldn't do that we should let's celebrate these guys because whether you agree with the war or not we can still support the troops like mm -hmm. you know but i mean dude was just the way he sang that song was so creepy and yeah good night did that take a long time it took a long time and like you talked about the minbari captains who were threatened with death to not talk all those night watch people who had to stand there and just awkwardly watch him sing that song you know, and dude with the eye thing was just like, he was great. I liked him a lot. I'm, I'm going to say right now, he, we won't see him again, but I, I want to, like, I want him to be the night watch force. I liked him because the thing is he was mean. He was hardcore. He was gritty, but he also was competent. He believed in what he was going for. And he thought that there was a place to reason when they were getting to the end of the countdown for the Minbari cruisers to leave. He was just like, why, why aren't they doing this? Don't they know we're serious? They got to know we're not like, he didn't necessarily want to carry through and kill the hostages. He just wanted the outcome. 
you know? Right. So like not a bad, I mean, he's a bad guy, but like he's willing to kind of play by the dirty rules. Was that the point of this episode though? It was like, Hey, just because the wars happened, there's still people on the station that are loyal to the other guys. And now we've got to get the rest of those guys off. Like I, I don't like start questioning the need for this episode. I get 22 episodes. You got to fill some in. You got to put some chapters in that probably are not that overly consequential, but I like we got the new uniforms. There was a couple funerals, which great, but why? Like they didn't see that these guys were in the show. Like I said, if, if they would have said, Hey, they've got secret night watch folks out there beyond that one line from Garibaldi at the end of the last episode. If they had seeded that, maybe that'd be a thing. And then this, that becomes a, a, an ongoing threat, right? Like who is night watch and who's not, are the new people coming in secretly night watch or not? Like, like, what do we, what do we got? Cause Garibaldi has got to build up that security force again. Right? Like he lost what a third of them or something like that, or half of them, Yeah, you know, think about, Oh, well he's got the Narn, I guess. So, and they're doing a great job. A great but job. Yeah. I, I had the same thing. Like to me, I, I, I thought the Londo and Rifa stuff was a neat little, I mean, it was perfect too. It was a moment in the episode and it's, that's what it deserved. And it's going to be a thing later. Cool. Great. Um, the other big thing I got out of it was that Garibaldi is a chief warrant officer. I found that to be interesting, but, uh, so Londo and Rifa, I Rifa's like, why should I, why should I take care of this? These are the people who are going to make me the emperor one day. I was shocked this whole time. I, did you think I thought this? Did you think Rifa just wanted to be the puppet master, or did you think he wanted to be emperor? Uh, no, I think he wanted to be the puppet master. That was my interpretation. You know, he's like, no, you wants to be the emperor. Like I, I honestly thought he was. That's how Londo was going to get on the throne. Was he? Londo was going to be the puppet for Rifa. Yep. And and Rifa was wanting to be that that guy, but uh, I mean, Rifa doesn't care. And and Londo had a great line here. Your loyalty to our people should be greater than your ambition. Yeah. Would you talk about, Hey, let this show come out of 30 years in the past and smack us in the face today. There it is. Um, and then of course, Londo poisons him using, she was trying to do a princess bride reference, whatever that poison was. I, I okay. Power. There it is. <laughs> all right. Is that right? <laughs> Clearly I cannot choose the goblet in front of you. Oh, me which is why i think <laughs> that was great oh my god i loved it too he, he, he why why would you do this to me well because i knew you'd do the same <laughs> right <And I'd laughs> just a matter of time all right so and then garibaldi's password is peekaboo which was hilarious and was great and you know what he was absolutely right no one would have guessed that password exactly exactly i also thought it was cool i i didn't catch this one till the second my second watch through on this i i don't know where sheridan's comes from obsidian that's pretty hardcore whatever and then ivanova's griffin and i was like okay that's a that's a very specific thing her star fury helmet uh-huh. there's a griffin on her star fury helmet is it really and yeah because when she was uh was a, i think it was in severed dreams right where she was that when her yeah point is severed dreams that she went out and she had the griffin on her helmet which is not very good password hygiene by the way to to wear it on your helmet but garibaldi he knows what's up hey uh jeff um i guess i guess we only have one more thing really to talk about then which i think was your favorite thing in the entire episode oh jeez. hey what you got a problem for us huh what's going on here huh you're not eating enough. Look at you. Look You're at skin you. and bone. Gotta get you some pizza, maybe some pasta ravioli. Huh? What are we doing? All of a sudden, I turned into Mario. Uh, 
<laughs> well, that's the thing. What was it even supposed to be? Like, was it Brooklyn? Was he Italian? Was it just I, a guy I with think an it was attitude? Just supposed to be generic New Yorker, uh, whatever. You didn't like it, Jeff. I thought it was hilarious. I what? thought it was so funny. It was it was the right comic relief that I needed for this episode. It was literally like. So we got this idea. We're going to do a thing with the codes because that makes sense. That's a this. But, oh, you know, we're short like two and a half minutes. It made no sense. No sense whatsoever why this was the case. But I loved it anyway. I thought it was so funny. My theory, because uh-huh. I, I, I can't let this just be the garbage, the garbage storyline that it was. My theory is that there was one line where he says, yeah, this is a subroutine. They shut it down. It popped up when we rebooted it. What other? subroutines popped up that we haven't discovered yet or it's just a stupid storyline that was just to fill some time one of the two somebody was having some fun jms was having some fun in an episode well jeff with all of that i think we have reached the part of the show where it is time to actually boil it down and maybe have a meaningful conversation here jeff Uh, a meaningful part if not short uh to find out what part of this show if any is there a star trek quality to it does it have a deep moral message in it is it holding up a mirror to society giving us hope that things could be better in the future even if we aren't there yet but maybe we could get there uh jeff you my friend are going to talk about the star trek ness of this episode rating it on a scale of zero to five deltas i'll do the same only on a scale of zero to five star fears is how much we enjoyed this episode how babylon five it was jeff you go first so i can 100 percent see this like as a star trek episode but is it i'm sorry is it a star trek episode that's not a very good star trek episode though you are you are totally trying to get to the end of the story at the beginning <laughs> let me tell my story okay sorry let's <laughs> <laughs> so take out the secession stuff right all the babylon five state stuff you get jordy and data messing around with the computer you get troy being abducted by the monster or bad guy of the week and rikers trying to find and rescue her Worf is trying to pull everybody together for some klingon ceremony that the klingons don't actually celebrate anymore Like, this is totally a Star Trek episode with a message. And that message can boil it. We talked about a couple of them, you know, earlier. But I think the message throughout this is actually a message of love. And we've talked about love through, like, a Star Trek and sci-fi lens before. But I think this one does a really good job of showing what love can do. So, like, we saw Londo, who had a love of his people and, and and his the the ideals of of the centauri we saw a love of duty with the babylon 5 crew and with jakar we saw a love of self which we saw the absence of in marcus we saw love in another lanier towards delen we saw the romantic love that both sheridan and ivanova expressed and you can even add bogs and the nightwatch people to the love of duty piece as well but we also had a love of harmony and for the universe as a whole wrapped up in the rebirth ceremony. But love will make you do dumb, stupid, and crazy things. <laughs> so the message to me in this one isn't that there's love, right? There is love and there's lots of different loves like we talked about. The message is what we let love do to us, right? Both Sheridan and his squad and Boggs and his squad loved the same thing. They both love Earth. But it's their take on that love that differs. And then what kind of ethics and morality do you have that you act on it? Jim Rohn, who's an author, a business author and speaker, he died years ago. But he had this really great talk on there's the thing that happens and then there's what how you react to it. 
And he would say, the same wind blows on us all. Where you go depends not on the wind, but on the set of your sail. So we have the same wind. In this case, people have love. But what do you do as a result of it, right? And you can see that in Jakar. Like Jakar is the shining example of that. Mm-hmm. He His love for Narns has expanded to this really big place that we've seen over the last couple of episodes, to the universe, you know, as a whole. It's completely changed him. And he's living this life of service right now. Londo's love of his people, on the other hand, has caused him, his reaction has been to do absolutely horrific things. And is now encouraging him to try and make those things a little bit better. It's interesting, though, that like, like you said, there's Star Trek episodes that are not very Star Trek-y. This is a two Delta episode. Like, it's a good message. It's in there. I had to dig to get that whole it's your reaction to it piece. But I think, I, I think, though... I think that a lot of of the message through this one came through Delenn's desire, her love of harmony, her love of the universe, to just bring people together. And like we've talked about many times, when you can bring people together, you can be vulnerable. You can just talk, just have a dialogue. That's where change happens. That's where relationships are repaired, and that's where growth can come from. And it was all all brought about by her attempted reaction at love that influenced at least the earth people to step up and do something. Jeff, let me ask you a question. Yeah. You came into this episode, this recording tonight, not really liking this episode at all, not caring for it at all. Not at all. After having our conversation that we've had and, and diving through it, do you find yourself liking this episode anymore? Cause I know sometimes that can change just even over the course of recording. Do you find yourself appreciating it more or liking it anymore? Or are you still pretty much right where you were? I think I appreciate the message in it more. I still don't care for the episode. So when I first saw the episode, um, I said it was a letdown after the last three weeks in trying to think of how much we like this episode and assigning star furies to this episode. I really try to say if this was anywhere else in the season, not right after this last trilogy, yeah. would this episode be better? Is it just being very misserved by what we've just come off? And I don't know that it is. <laughs> You know, this is not a palate cleanser. I do appreciate this episode better from having watched it again than I did my, in my very first initial reaction. All right. My initial reaction was, I think very much like yours. I did not care for this. There were parts of the show that I gravitated towards that I found, but I think it's because those particular parts related to me. There were things that I Brent found a a connecting point with. Uh, but overall this episode coming after these three, I mean, does it move the plot forward? Yeah. A little bit. And they got some new uniforms. Woo. You know, we could handle that in, uh, 30 seconds at the beginning of an episode. Hey, look, you like my new weapon? My new, uh, actually, you know, the way DS nine handled the new app, the new uniforms. They didn't even mention it. They, they just showed up one day, (laughs) you know? not fitting at all no because was cisco was wearing riker's uniform from the movie or something like that yeah uh so you said yours is a two delta two out of five i'm gonna give this one two star furies and i think that might be being a little generous but i'm gonna give it two because i don't think it's much more than that i probably would have given it less had i not um had the other points to go through it but i'm I'm, i'll give it two 
you know, I'm just going to brace myself for all the comments about how we just, you know, don't understand nuance and, you know, how much people think that this episode is just great coming after these last three because it had a funeral. Well, Brent, just like last season, we are creating the 100% completely accurate definitive ranking of the third season this time of Babylon 5. Our top five currently, you're going to recognize these from some recently viewed episodes. We have in the first place, uh, Severed Dreams. In the second, point Point of No Return, Messages from Earth, Passing Through Gethsemane, and then Matters of Honor rounding out the top five. Brent, where do you? rank ceremonies of light and dark it's not even going to touch any of those five so let's talk about the next five voices of authority dust to dust a day in the strife convictions and exogenesis and my litmus test that i always use in this point is given the choice between this episode and this other episode which one would i want to watch more so i'm going to start at the bottom with exogenesis if i had a choice between exogenesis and ceremonies of light and dark which one do i want to watch more and my answer is bugs i would much rather see bugs before seeing delin and funerals and whatever so this is going to be our new number 11 it's going to take the last spot i will say what this is not though this is not uh what was that episode last last season a distant star long dark long dark where i said it's not just the last i'm just going to make it number 22 at the bottom and it's going to live there i'm not going to do that to this one i'll let it be at number 11 and We'll see what happens over the coming weeks. Sounds good. I do not disagree in the least. And Brent, that does it for Ceremonies of Light and Dark. We like to play a game where you? we we do. We like a lot of games here on Babylon 5 for the first time. We're going to watch the next. The name of the next episode is Seek Transit Veer, huh? which is Latin. Seek Transit Veer. It's Latin? Okay, translate it for me. Uh, it means... Uh, thus passes veer. I don't know what veer means in Latin. Okay. So our game we play is now Brent has heard the name of the episode for the very first time. And we're going to guess what the next episode is about based on the title alone. We know nothing else about this one. So Brent knowing seek transit veer, it's the name of the next episode. What do you think it's going to be about? I feel like my, my sigh rating is going to drop on this one. Okay, I mean, Veer is moving from place to place, uh, maybe in his ambassadorial role. Maybe he's seeking, new, maybe he's trying to help bring about new alliances for Babylon 5. You know, like like he almost, he becomes Babylon 5's ambassador. Okay. His ambassadorial role changes. Uh, or maybe he loses his Centauri ambassadorial role on Minbar and he's got to come back. To Babylon five, or I, I think it's, it's going to be Veer and his ambassadorial role changing. And he's, is he going to come back and serve Londo again? Like he was, I don't know about that. Maybe, but I, I think, I think there's a change for him. Maybe even a breaking from the Centauri government as a whole or something. I, I'm not entirely sure. That's, that's my guess is Veer huh. ambassador role change. He's back on Babylon five because they wrote him off the show. And then they just kept bringing him back episode after episode. So it's like he got like what three episodes out like did his wife have a baby is that what it was so we're gonna break up get your stuff move out also dinner tomorrow <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> i'll always have a spot in my heart for you Veer. yeah always. yeah forever it'll be good always. how about you jeff what do you think so when a new when it, when the catholic church names a new pope one of the first things that they announce the white smoke comes out uh-huh. and then they announce seek transit gloria mundi 
which means thus passes the glory of the world. Okay. Seek transit Veer. Brent, I think Veer's going to become emperor in this next episode. Oh, you think? It, oh, no way. No way. I mean, they're literally stealing the line of naming the new pope. Uh... To, for this episode, JMS has not shied away from religion, from Catholicism specifically. This is a very intentional use of uh, of some church language. I, you know, Jeff, knowing what we know about JMS and his history with the church, the sheer amount of religious icon, icon uh, iconography that uh, and language that has led us to those conversations, which I would almost never have. But he puts he puts it in front of us. Like, I'm sorry, you're putting it right in front of me. Exactly. When we started doing this podcast, hey, bro, let's do a Babylon 5 podcast. Did you think we would be like having dissertational conversations around the theology of the- around around eschatology? No, yeah, I-, I would have. No, you know, uh, no, I'm, we're discussing pre-millennial, all-millennial or post-millennial eschatology. What? And if you know what that is out there, high five. Um, right. If you don't, don't worry about it. it Cause you know what? Prophecy is a bad predictor of the future. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. If that happens though, Jeff. Yeah. He's going to die. There's, there's a, well, he has to, because Londo's got to get there. Cause we were just told that by Majel. And I fully expect, fully expect Londo to ascend the emperor throne because we know that's going to happen now. And it's going to be Londo's death. And then in in my anticipation, it's it ends with Veer becoming the emperor and he leads them off into a new era. That's the way that's the way I want. And so if Veer goes ahead and becomes the emperor now, that's going to subvert all my expectations. And then I'm going to live with this knowledge over the next bunch of seasons. He's going to die at some point. And I don't want Veer to die. I like Veer. Yeah, I I didn't want to make this guess, but I mean that is literally what the name of the episode is saying. Either he's either that or he's going to be the next Kai, right? Like he could be the next <laughs> Space Pope. <laughs> yep, exactly. He could be that. But you know, prophecy is a bad predictor of the future, but the future is a great predictor of the future, which means here, right here, next week, we're going to actually find out what this episode is about. Thank you everyone so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening or watching. And if you haven't already pop over to Apple podcasts, good pods, audible pod chaser, wherever, leave us a rating, a review. We'll read it here on the podcast until next time. Hey, hey Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? Hey, uh, I'm going to need you to run some diagnostics for me. What? You got a broken arm or something? I got a podcast to produce here. Jeff. No. No, we're we're not ending like that. Um, hey, uh, how's that drink you got over there? Is it good? Got here. It is. Is it good? Yeah, take it's it. Pretty delicious. Go take another drink. Oh, okay, okay. Uh huh. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, it's good. It's refreshing. Yeah. All itchy. Uh huh. All of a sudden, though. Yeah. Yeah. What is? That? Hey, folks. <laughs> peace, victory, <laughs> and long life. Except for <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> it's not your start.